The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. So there are mounting calls for a total overhaul on how closed and abandoned mines are treated. There are also calls for stronger action to be taken against illegal mining syndicates to prevent illegal miners from taking over areas and to prevent a further loss of life. We've seen several major incidents involving illegal miners. At least 31 people killed underground at a closed mine near Valcom last month. And then on Wednesday night, 17 people dying to that gas, dying due to that gas leak in Boxburg as well. We've spoken about this regularly on the show. We're speaking about it again. Oren Singh, EWN reporter in Boxburg for us again today. Oren, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. What is the, the sense there about what authorities are doing or, or, or what are they not doing? Good afternoon, Mandy. Yeah, look, there's, there's a lot less presence here today in Boxburg in the Angelo informal settlement as compared to yesterday. Yesterday we saw a number of uh, police with their vehicles um, loading instruments that were being used to refine this illegal gold that these Amazamas have been mining. Now, the mine shaft um, in this area is, is situated probably about four kilometers away from the Angelo informal settlement. We went there this morning, unfortunately, due to safety concerns, because there were armed Zamazamas outside the shaft that were guarding it. We weren't unable to go through there due to safety concerns. But we did um, manage to meet with uh, Zamazama, a young guy, uh, 21. He's been working as a Zamazama for two years in this area. And we interviewed him anonymously, of course, not to put him at risk. Uh, obviously, this is an illegal activity, and he agreed to the interview um, pending certain um, 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 circumstances. What he tells us, Mandy, regarding the uh, gas leak that occurred on Wednesday evening just after 6 p.m., is that four of the, of the 17 people who died were, in fact, Zama Zamas, and they were at that shack um, trying to release the gas from that gas cylinder. Um, in order for them to cut it. Now, these cylinders are used in a process called what the Zamazamas refer to as penduka. It's a Zulu word which directly translates to rotate. They cut open these gas cylinders, and they once they go down into the mine, they collect a rock containing gold. They crush this rock into a powder. This, rock then, this powder is then placed into this gas cylinder, which is propped up on steel sort of um, shafts, and it's mixed with a number of uh, acids such as uh, uh, tartaric, vinegar, um, mercury, and soil and water. And uh, sometimes they use generators and they attach it and hook it up to these cylinders to, in order for it to rotate. Sometimes they rotate it manually. So this is the process, the starting process of them extracting the gold. They thereafter take it and they put it into water with mercury and then they, they burn it to actually get the gold out of the rock. So it's an entire process. So the cylinder that leaked on Wednesday evening was actually stolen from a company um, here in Boxburg. We are aware of the name of the company and we're about to head there to speak to, um, to speak to the company, but we won't name them until we've spoken to them. So the locals have told us which company it was that these Zamazamas had stolen the cylinder from. And obviously, um, after that leak, it's an unfortunate incident in which 17 people have, have lost their lives.
As we always say, it is about the ecosystem because it involves the company, it involves the refinement, it involves the people who buy it that, that needs to be clamped down. From speaking to uh, the illegal miner, Oren, do, do you get a sense from them that they will stop doing what they're doing following these these devastating incidents where so many people have died or are they going to continue regardless? I think it's a very tricky, a very tricky um, position they find themselves in, Manny. This this guy is 21 years old. He's only finished standard seven. Quite a young guy, and he's intelligent from speaking to him and interacting with him. The problem is, we, you know, the the, the economic situation we find ourselves in in this country and the high unemployment rates. It just paints a very bleak future for a lot of the young people in this country and i think for him more specifically he tells us he can make anything between two thousand to three thousand rand a day but the the risk that he takes going down into that shaft is not something he wants to do he did say that should he be able to get a job and be employed permanently and earn a steady income every month he much rather do that than risk his life every day going into these mines, buying this gold, refining it, and going through all this process. He's also been traumatized by this incident after, you know, a number of the people that he worked with as a Zamazama and illegal miner died. So he's also been left with uh, a lot of trauma following this mm. incident. Oren, thank you very much. Uh, EWN reporter Oren Singh in Boxburg for us, uh, giving us a sense there of what the illegal miners are, are saying and what they're thinking, what they're experiencing. I know there's a lot of criticism of illegal miners, but important to, to show both sides of this. Let's get some response now from the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy because they agree uh, that efforts to fight illegal mining must be intensified. So what's going to happen? Makosonko Kibutelezi is the Mineral Resources Head of Communications. Mokosanke, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time today. There are, there are mounting calls for a total overhaul on how closed and abandoned mines are treating, the regulation of small mining operators as well, the granting of licenses has been suggested. What can be done to deal with this issue? Good afternoon, Mandy, and yes, uh, we agree with that. There needs to be uh, uh, certain things that needs to be done. For example, in the uh, artisanal and small-scale mining policy uh, that was directed in, 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 in March 2022, there are certain policy proposals that we have there to deal with illegal mining. The first one is that we should strengthen all the uh, <coughs> legislation. Uh, that, uh, to, uh, uh, we should criminalize the illegal mining, and we should also uh, strengthen our own uh, MPRTA Act, uh, but there are there's things that we're also suggesting that we sh- there should be look at establishing a dedicated minerals and precious metals theft unit within the SAPS, and it should be fully capacitated and trained uh, detective unit, and maybe also explore the possibility of creating a dedicated. Uh, prosecutor uh, expertise that will look at uh, illegal mining matters. So we believe that uh, if we succeed in in, in doing all these things, somehow we may be able to cap illegal mining. Makosonke, how close are you to actually implementing this? Because the framework is there, the suggestions are good, you've made the resolutions, but in terms of actually implementing, how, how far are you down the line? 
Look, uh, these are proposal, policy proposals, and you need to go in and, and, and start the process of, of reviewing all these legislations. For example, with regards to our own MPRTA, next month we are going to have a big conference where we will be looking at uh, starting the process of reviewing our own MPRTA, and we will also be looking at uh, issues of illegal mining and how we can strengthen this legislation so that it deals uh, with the issue of illegal mining. And, and Marcus Onke, how much cooperation is there taking place with, uh, with the police, with law enforcement agencies, with other arms of, of government, um, uh, in, in terms of the companies that are abandoning these mines? How much collaboration is there? We work with them very closely. In fact, we are, there is a body that was established, the National Coordination and Strategic Management Team, which uh, includes all the uh, relevant units in the SAPS, intelligence services, uh, home affairs, and ourselves. So we conduct raids on a regular basis once we got a wind of illegal mining activities and we go there. And I must say there's been some good measure of success. For example, this year there was a conviction of the 87 illegal miners uh, that were caught sometime in uh, October 2021. They were all in all combined uh, pros- uh, receive a, a prison sentence of 696 uh, prison terms. So it, was, it is through these collective uh, actions that we, we have been able so far to effect these arrests and prosecutions. Marcus Onke Butelezi, Mineral Resources and Energy Head of Communication. Thank you very much for speaking to us there. So how do we stop illegal mining in South Africa? That's the, the great question here. Is uh, you know, do, that, Does it mean that we need more uh, police involvement? Do we need the companies responsible? Uh, could there be, for example, the granting of licenses being suggested, uh, suggested, the regulation of small mining operators? We are seeing more and more deadly incidents taking place. Uh, we saw this gas leak. Uh, the death toll stands at 17. We had that uh, incident not too long ago. 31 people killed in an underground mine, a closed, abandoned underground mine near Volcom. We have to find solutions here. What are your thoughts? The Midday Report. People talking about uh, this thing of artisanal mine. There's nothing as a profession called artisanal mining or something of uh, what they are, they are claiming to, to, to say that uh, this uh, mining they should be rehabilitated. If these are foreign illegal migrants, undocumented, untraceable, they must be put out of our country and deported. We can no longer wait for the premier and the ministers to meet with their embassies and to take them out of our country. Isn't artisanal mining just a euphemism for what we're seeing taking place here? Or do you think that actually that is something that does exist, uh, that, uh, that, that there really there is small-scale mining? Because there is small-scale mining. I think there's a big difference between artisanal mining, small-scale mining, and the illegal mining that we're seeing. And then, of course, you have to have context, right? And we've heard this from the response to what happened in, in Valcom. Because you look at that at the Valcom mine, because you look at the situation in Lesotho, um, you look at the fact that the economy in Lesotho has also been impacted. And then you hear what our reporter, Oren Singh, says after speaking to that Zama Zama today about how desperate people are. And in our current climate, in our economy, people are desperate for money. They'll do anything. The Midday Report.
A cold front expected to hit Gauteng this weekend. The mercury expected around the single digits. Uh, Joburg's EMS service uh, also preparing for cold weather. There's also expected to be some snow in low-level areas across parts of South Africa and Lesotho uh, during the weekend and into Monday as well. Tobela is an SA weather service forecaster joining us. Now, Lakhonolo, good afternoon to you. Thank you for good your time. Thanks for having me. So what's uh, what's the story with this cold front? Cold front in Gauteng. Um, it feels colder in Gauteng already. Has it hit? When is it hitting? And what are we going to expect? I mean, it is a cold front. Could be a cold front for us. The, how how often it happens, we can make it a friend. I think <laughs> it depends. <laughs> uh, depends on your circumstances and how you're going to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, you'd need some electric blankets somewhere. So I think we have a electric cold front. Blankets, yes. <laughs> We have the cold front over the southwestern parts of the country expected to have much of the influence in showers and rain over the Western Cape province, mainly in the western and central parts of the Western Cape province in the evening, with warnings issued to be about waves um, between Cape Colombine and Cape Agalis, as well as strong winds over southern parts of the northern Cape province, the central and the northern parts of the Western Cape province, and most parts of the eastern Cape province today. The cold front then starts to move over the south coast and moving further and east with showers and rain still mainly over the southwestern parts of the country covering most parts of the western cape province and the western parts of the northern cape province with some chances of snow over um, high-lying areas or lying ground areas also around the sutherland areas for um, parts of the cape province especially the northern cape and the western cape province the warning still remain as it says of the wave warning along the west and south coast with also another warning for localized flooding expected mainly over the uh, Western Cape Province being mainly covering the uh, Cape Cape Town City municipality too. So most of the cold front uh, conditions are expected over the southwestern parts, but then it spreads over into the eastern parts, and we start having or experiencing a drop in temperatures on day three, which is then the 9th of July, which is expected on Sunday. Well, how things expected to have cold conditions over the central and the southern parts of the country, and most of the impact then is expected on the following day, which is um, the 10th, where we're going to have much of the cold conditions for most parts of the country, with the chances of snow occurring over the Drunken Speck Mountains, spreading over the Eastern Cape Province, all all over up until the low felt of Mpumalanga on the 10th. Leklokonolo, thank you so much. Leklokonolo Tobela, SA Weather Service forecaster, telling us about the cold fronts. And as you say, you know, it can be a cold friend too, considering your circumstances. There, there are ways for a cold front to be a cold friend. I can tell you that, I mean, all the women, this is an all-women team, everyone has responded very favorably to that suggestion and to Leklokonolo's voice as well. Uh, not Palesa googling Leklokonolo while he's talking. Uh, <laughs> But as he says, the cold front can be your friend. The Midday Report. Let us get serious again. The Presidential Climate Commission, together with Ministers Barbara Creasy and Pravin Gordan, today visiting the Kamati power station in Mpumalanga today. Uh, and remember that Kamati was actually taken off the grid in October last year. Uh, it had been in, um, it had been working for us since 1961. And the entire uh, idea there is for Kamati to um, be the site of our just energy transition 
strategy. So when infrastructure was set up at the power station, Kamati is expected to be powered by solar power, wind power, battery storage as well. So that's why the Presidential Climate Commission uh, is there today. Lebohang Mulaisi is the Presidential Climate Commission COO speaking to us uh, today. Uh, Lebohang, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. The entire um, idea of Kumati is that it is now one of the key sites of the just energy transition. What exactly are you going to have a look at today? Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on your show. And I think you've contextualized the issues quite well. This is really a pilot site for what we mean um, as a just energy transition. Um, we want to make sure that indeed no one is left behind, like what the Presidential Climate Commission says in its framework for South Africa, so that you know communities as well as workers, as well as the, broadly the communities around this area, continues to benefit from the economic activities within Komati but surrounding the area as well. So that's the purpose for today's a meeting um, with the PCC and Gomati here today just to ensure that processes that have been followed and plans that have been developed indeed do live up to its fruition so that we do see a just energy transition or the first of its kind here in Gomati. We know that in November last year, the World Bank and the Canadian Clean Energy and Forest Climate Facility Loan approved a 9 billion rand concessional loan to ESCOM to fund Kumati's decommissioning. And, and that loan looks at decommissioning Kumati and repurposing and repowering the station. How important is what happens at Kumati for the country's entire just energy transition? Uh, you know, is, this, is this very much the test case um, and how important is it going forward? Yeah, sure. Just like um, Minister Praveen Goran said in today's session, this is where the rubber hits the road. Um, this is the, definitely the, the test case. Um, I think we've been talking about the just energy transition for quite some time. This is not a new concept. Um, so now society gets to see whether or not we can live up you know, to what we've been claiming um, that we can do here in South Africa. Uh, the fact of the matter is that we don't want a situation where we decommission power stations. We leave those communities in the lurch and we leave them with white elephants in terms of infrastructure. But you repurpose it to do something different in society so that all the other auxiliary activities um, in terms of economic activities that take place surrounding the area continue um, to be maintained and sustained, especially in terms of SMME development um, moving forward. So it really is a test case. And the financing of it is vital. Without the financing, you won't be able to do the necessary repurposing. But I think it's important to note that this is more about, less about decommissioning, but really the repurposing of this particular power station. There still seems to be this mixed messaging from government, this dichotomy between the commitment to the just energy transition and yet the resistance uh, to decommission power stations. Uh, How how easy is it for you as the presidential uh, climate committee to to deal with this? And and we see this kind of visit today to Kamati, but yet there's so much other mixed messaging coming from government. Oh, sure. I mean, first of all, we must understand that South Africa still continues to operate in an energy mix. So we are still going to rely on various um, sources of energy in order to power our society for the near future. I think what we also need to take into consideration that there is need to diversify our, our resources for, for energy, which is important. And another thing to take into consideration is that we do have an aging coal fleet in terms of infrastructure, and there needs to be some sort of forward thinking and planning in order to make sure that indeed the repurposing does happen. 
I think what we do need to understand is that we still do exist in an environment of an energy mix, and it will still be an energy mix for the foreseeable future. It may sound like it's a contradiction, but I think we do need to balance the energy needs of the current issues that plague us, which is in terms of energy security, as well as planning for a future for our energy mix. Lebogang, thank you so much. Uh, Lebogang Mulaisi is the Presidential Climate Commission COO. Uh, so the Climate Commission today visiting Kamati Power Station along with the Minister Barbara Creasy, Pravin Gordon as well. Uh, interesting, Gwede Mantashe not there today, it doesn't seem. Um, and that's really what, what the concern is and the concern that I raised as well is that there is this mixed messaging uh, coming from government around whether or not there is a just energy transition. And what we've seen happening at the Kamati power station which was officially taken off the grid in October last year it used to provide power to us since 1961 hundreds of people who worked at that plant while it was still running have been transferred to other power stations or they continue to work at Kamati on maintenance of infrastructure or they're being upskilled to work on renewable energy and that's exactly what the just energy transition means is that those people who have been benefiting or who have been living off the coal industry will be able to get employment um, in in other ways. So we're able to to shift over to greener energy sources such as solar power, wind power, battery storage as well. But people will still be able to benefit, still be able to to earn an income as well. That's the that's um, what Lebogang says. The Presidential Climate Committee is looking at today visiting the power station, including a walkabout of the solar microgrid and the agri voltaics demonstration facilities and looking at the solar site there as well the midday report the biggest problem in this country well one of the many big problems in this country corrupt officials full stop so you got our porous borders they're coming across from all parts of Africa and battle-hardened criminals are coming across from conflict areas and there's no better job for them than to apply themselves in these abandoned mines. So you can bring all the police forces you like, you're not gonna get the problem sorted until you sort out our border controls. Andre. Thanks, Andre, I agree. I think it's a multifaceted problem that we're facing and it requires the cooperation of home affairs, uh, of the mining officials, of the police, of law enforcement, of the mining companies as well. And as we heard from uh, the Mineral Resources Department, that the framework is there. They know what to do. It's just about implementing it and making sure that it actually gets done. But it's also about improving the economy and creating alternative sources of income so that people don't need to resort to criminality and to illegal uh, Operations such as mining. It's multifaceted. It is not simple at all. It's a very complex issue and it requires a complex response. The Midday Report. Angelo Agriti's matter back in court today. I say the matter because there have been issues around Angelo Agriti himself actually appearing in court because of his poor health. It's that 800,000 rand matter. Agriti is accused of offering gratification on behalf of Bosasa to former parliamentarian Vincent Smith in exchange for his influence as the then chairperson of Parliament's Oversight Committee on Correctional Services. Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, following this story for us. Uh, Bernadette, this matter has now been moved to the High Court. Why, why is that and what's going to happen next? So the matter hasn't yet been moved, but it's been postponed until October for it to be transferred to the High Court. It's been sitting in the Palmridge Specialised Commercial Crimes Court up until
until this point. What we understand from today's proceedings is that um, there was an intention to transfer the case today, but the certificate that the state needs, it hadn't secured that yet, so they've now postponed for that certificate to be secured, and on the next occasion it should be sent to the High Court, and that's where the trial will likely be heard. And then just remind us, there were issues around Angelo Greci actually appearing in courts uh, physically. There was that appearance that he made virtually with all of the medical equipment and the oxygen machines. So this is matters now going ahead in abstention, right? So... Um a few months ago, there was essentially a um, inquiry into his fitness to hold office. That was, con- I mean, into his fitness to stand trial. We're that so was used to saying fitness to stand <laughs> office in this uh, absolutely. In this country. Um, and so, at the end of that inquiry into his fitness to stand trial, um, what the court decided was. If possible, he must attend his um, proceedings virtually. But that is obviously, there is that caveat, if possible. Um, we did see him attend those proceedings virtually um, via video link. As you mentioned, he was surrounded by all this medical equipment, seemed very unwell, kind of kept um, zoning in and out of the proceedings. We understand he didn't appear even virtually today. Going forward, where possible, um, we understand he will make a virtual appearance, but where that just isn't feasible, um, it will likely be dealt with in absence. We understand today that his attorneys did have permission to be his representative in his absence. Bernadette Wicks, thank you very much. Uh, EWN reporter giving us an update there on the Angelo Greetsy matter. The Midday Report. The ANC is holding a three-day National Executive Committee meeting. It is looking at the assessment of the party's elections manifesto, the Public Protectors report on Palapala, the BRICS summit that's coming up, the electricity grid as well, various issues that the ANC is going to be looking at. Ndaidzo Netonje, EWN reporter, following this for us. Ndaidzo, give us a sense of what the ANC is going to be contemplating over the next three days. Good afternoon, Mendy. So as you mentioned, there, there are some issues uh, that uh, the ANC will be focusing on. On the issue of the election manifesto review, I think uh, the party wants to say, while these were our priorities and promises to the electorate, the um, political landscape and the situation in the country has changed. And perhaps we need to refocus and look at uh, the things that are now facing us as a reality, maybe issues around geopolitics and so on. So uh, those are the reasons why they will have this review of the election manifesto. But as you mentioned, there, there's also the issue of BRICS. Um, BRICS uh, is going to have that political party summit forum. Uh, and there's the issue of the EFF's involvement, uh, which has been coming up a number of times. They are most likely going to discuss that because there are varying views within the National Executive Committee of the ANC as to whether the ANC, um, the EFF should actually be part of this summit. Uh, that m- will most definitely dominate, uh, 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 you know, talks here. And the BRICS summit itself, we know the issues that are yet to be resolved, especially around Russian President Vladimir Putin and his attendance. And then President Cyril Ramaphosa expected to deliver the opening address uh, today as well. Uh, what do we expect him to primarily be dealing with? Well, um, he has uh, d- delivered that opening address, but we haven't been able to attend that. But uh, what uh, the uh, the ANC president is expected to or would have touched on are issues about the state of the organization, the electricity, the economy, and plans on what government will be doing around that. But also, uh, Mandy, 
One of the things that will definitely come up here is the adoption of the Parapala report. The National Working Committee, uh, which is a smaller uh, grouping of uh, uh, compared to the National Executive Committee, has adopted that and welcomed it. But uh, NEC member, for example, like Andile Lungisa, have criticized that report on Palapala. So it may be that this platform will give uh, NEC members that do not agree with the findings by the public protector to air their views. So we expect a lot to come out of that as well. Ndaezo, thank you so much. Ndaezo Netonje, the EWN reporter, having a look at what the ANC NEC is going to be uh, discussing over the next three days. The Midday Report. Hi, Mandy. Uh, this is Mapula from Olivedale. You know what worries me about go- our government is that they don't do their jobs. And Oprima Sango is right. We are always dealing with consequences in this country. And people from outside have seen the weaknesses of our government. Now, how do you legalize something that is illegal? This is lazy thinking, Mandy. I'm sorry. It is lazy thinking. You cannot, they must start doing their jobs because the whole country is in a mess because of them. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Midday Report. So I asked the question at the start of the show, are you on a threads yet? Is Twitter dead? And if you're wondering what threads is, it's the uh, the meta version of Twitter, I suppose is the best way to describe it. If you're on Instagram, it's easy for you to get onto threads. So we're seeing a lot of people shifting over in the last uh, day or two. Uh, in fact, we've seen a lot of influencers uh, moving over as well, big brands as well. And now Elon Musk wants to sue Mark Zuckerberg, and I sent him a very angry letter. Arthur Goldstuck joining us now, the Worldwide Works founder and CEO. Arthur, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Um, are, are we, we going to see the end of Twitter and a big shift to threads? Or as Mark Zuckerberg says, it's just the first round here. Hey, Mark is absolutely correct. For once, uh, Zuckerberg got it right because uh, firstly, threads has been launched in a masterful way. It's, in fact, a brilliant way of leveraging the existing Instagram user base as well as combining what people know in terms of how to use Instagram and how to use uh, Twitter. It's not quite as user-friendly as Twitter yet, but I suspect it will uh, get there. But he's absolutely right that it's just the first round because um, while Elon Musk figures out how to respond, he's just making uh, empty threats right now. And uh, those threats will eventually turn into a realization that uh, he's got it completely wrong in terms of of uh, Facebook poaching his engineers, which he fired in the first place. He fired half his engineers, and uh, he shouldn't be um, angry that any of them might go and work for Meta. But Meta insists that they aren't using any former Twitter engineers. The reality is that uh, one wouldn't want to copy the broken business model of Twitter. One would want to take what one can see on the surface, what's obvious, what works on Twitter, and improve on that in any other platform. There have been uh, other potential competitors. Mastodon, uh, Post, Truth Social have all tried to lure Twitter users away, but uh, it seems as though Threads has probably got the most momentum. There are some people who are early adopters, but for me, if I use my own example, right, I'm reluctant because I, last time I checked, have about 300,000 followers on Twitter. I have about 3,000 Instagram followers. So for me to give up that currency is it doesn't make any sense. 100%, but you don't have to give it up. You can uh, use both quite effectively. 
I've got a similar amount of Instagram followers, and that should, in due course, translate into a similar amount of uh, thread followers. But it's a lot more hard work building a following on uh, threads than on uh, Twitter. So, of course, I'll hold on to my uh, Twitter account and uh, keep using it to reach that audience. But the reality is that Elon Musk keeps making it more and more difficult to use uh, Twitter. The latest uh, announcement that is going to be rate limiting how much you can view on Twitter if you're not paying for it is uh, just another way almost of chasing Twitter users into the arms of threads. And um, as mentioned, it's so easy to sign on to threads. There's no cost. There's no advertising yet. So that's going to be the big benefit. And the the telling factor is the number of people who signed up in the first day after 18 hours, they had 25 million sure. users. There has never been an app or a service that has signed up so many people so fast. Wow. Arthur, thank you so much. Uh, Arthur Goldstuck speaking to us there, the World Wide Works founder, about uh, the potential of threads and whether Twitter is going to stick around or not. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. The Midday Report.